Let's pray. Father God, we praise you for your love, your grace, your mercy, your word. We pray, Lord, that your word would take root deep in our hearts and in our lives, become a part of who we are. Lord, we'd share that. Give us strength by your Holy Spirit, we pray. Be here amongst us, I pray, that your spirit would work even now in this place through us, through your word, in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Are you ready to fight? The question alone uh, evokes a, a picture of bloody noses and, and pain, doesn't it? And, and very often we, we naturally recoil from the, the idea of even fighting, don't we? No, I don't want to fight. I don't, I don't want to be uncomfortable. I don't want to endure whatever that might bring upon me. I'm ready to turn on the TV, get lost in some YouTube vortex as one video leads to the next video, leads to the next video, and five hours later you're like, whoa, why do my eyes hurt, right? I'm ready to sit in my recliner after a long day at work and, and relax in my comfortable house and go to my comfortable bed and put my comfortable head on my comfortable pillow and close my comfortable eyes. Get a nice good night's sleep. Welcome to America, right? We're, we're pretty comfortable here. Christianity in America may be persecuted to, to quite an extent at this point in time. But Christians, if we're really honest, we have to admit, in our Christianity, we're pretty comfortable, aren't we? And yet, God's word calls us to pick a fight. Calls us to pick a fight and take a stand for the gospel message. To proclaim Jesus Christ with boldness. That's the very word the scripture, even our passage today, uses. Boldness. To enter into a spiritual war with boldness. Fleeing only to fight again. As we take a look at Paul and Barnabas and their ministry on this first missionary journey once again today, we're going to take a look at four different things. We're going to take a look at our toolbox. Or we're going to take a look at the nature of the war in which we're engaged. Fighting it with stamina and fleeing with pride. Let's go ahead and open up our Bibles to Acts chapter 14, starting at verse 1. We're going to read through verse 7, Acts chapter 14. Go ahead and stand up for the reading of God's Word. Acts 14, verse 1 says, Now at Iconium they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. 
when an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lycaonia, and to the surrounding country. And there they continued to preach the gospel. A reading of God's word. Go ahead and be seated. Thank you very much. Verse 1, it says, Now at Iconium... They entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. They spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. God's word is cross-cultural, isn't it? It goes beyond any kind of cultural barriers, time barriers. It, it applies to everyone at all times, be they Jews, Greeks, American, European, African, Asian, whatever we consider ourselves to be, God's word applies. And somehow, when Paul and Barnabas shared the gospel there in that place, they did it in such a way that it was convicting and convincing to both Jew and Gentile. We don't get their exact words here in this passage, but we do know that we are the tools that God uses to bring others to faith. The words we speak, the things we do, that they all proclaim Christ to those around us. We are the ones in whom people will see who Jesus Christ is. The building here isn't going to do it. It's just walls. If we weren't here and non-believers came into this building, what difference would it make? What, the, the difference is you. The difference is the body of Christ in the people who he's drawn into himself. That is where they're going to hear God's word. That's where they're going to hear the gospel message proclaimed through you, who you are and the words you say. Romans chapter 10. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing, hearing through the word of Christ. And they see and hear the word of Christ through us. How can people know and learn the truth of the gospel unless somebody who knows it shares it? As Paul, as Paul said to the Corinthians, we are Christ's ambassadors to the world. So we're called to do a job. Our job is to be Christians. So if we are called to do a job, then we need to make sure we equip ourselves with the right tools to do the job. Every job requires different tools, right? A carpenter isn't going to take all his carpentry tools to go do a job on electrician, uh, the job of an electrician, right? The, the tools don't line up. It doesn't work. You've got to have the right tools. My friend Roger is an aircraft mechanic, and it was his job to fix airplanes. So he has this garage full of great tools to do just about anything you would want to do on a car or an airplane. Professional-grade tools, snap-on, Mac tools, some good stuff, because he knew his job. 
and he wanted to make sure that he could do his job to the best of his ability and do it well and do it right. So he made sure that he had the right tools to do that job. We are Christians. That's what we are called to be. That's our job. And if we are called to speak in such a way as Paul and Barnabas did, to plant seeds of faith in our soil, if this is what God has called us to in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, to be witnesses of Jesus Christ, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, all to the ends of the earth, then it's important that we have the tools to do that job and recognize what the right tools to do that job are. Not everyone is a professional. Not everybody's going to have a garage full of tools, but every Christian should at least have a, a hammer and a screwdriver, a pair of scissors, the things you need to do, everyday tasks, right? The everyday tasks of being Christian. To be those who represent Christ with our words and our actions. Now, there's certainly more tools available, but I want to share just three tools today with you that every Christian should have and be using in their toolbox. First tool is the integrity of our lives. We need to walk in a manner that is worthy of our upward call in Christ Jesus. If we know that there's an area of our lives that we need to clean up, if there's an area of our lives or something in our lives that the Spirit is laying out conviction for us, then we need to be those who who jump in and, and take action to take care of business in our lives, that we might speak Christ to those around us, that they would see our lives changing, that they would see who we are growing in Jesus Christ, and they would know when they ask, why are you doing that differently? Well, let me tell you. It's Christ in me. Because who we are speaks volumes to those around us. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 9 through 12 says, For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. With the Thessalonians, Paul appeals to how he lived before them as evidence of the validity of that gospel message that he shared with them. We need to get used to to living out our walk so regularly, it's, it's just a part of who we are, that our integrity speaks for itself. See, men are getting excited right now. You mean that I have a tool that I can use that doesn't require personal interaction? This is great, right? Men don't tend to be all touchy-feely and and reach out, right? This tool will endear you to people. This tool will will prove to people that they can trust you because they see you being the same at work, at home, with your family, with your friends. They, They can see the integrity of your life 
And then when they trust you, they can see that they can trust you, they'll talk to you. When they talk to you, they'll share with you. When they share with you, that's when we pull out the second tool. We need to have that tool of integrity, and we need to be people of prayer. We need to pray with people. We need to pray for people. As we've already seen in the book of Acts, God's spirit is a spirit of power, isn't it? Here in the book of Acts, we've seen at Pentecost, the spirit comes down and gives them the ability to speak in tongues, and 3,000 people are brought into the family of God. He's given healings to the lame. He's given Peter visions on and on and on. This whole book has been called the Acts of the Holy Spirit by some. Not just the acts of the apostle, but the things that the Spirit has done through them for the cause of his gospel. We need to be those who, who pray for and with those around us, who, who don't just say, as they see the integrity of our lives, and they feel like they can share with us, and they come and share with us, and then we go, oh, well, okay, I'll be praying for you. We so often say, I'll be praying for you, and we walk away. Now, we need to be those who, who say, let me pray for you, and then bring them before God right then and right there, and we use that tool of prayer as they've shared their lives. May I pray for you? I guarantee you 99 point some odd percent of the time, they will not turn you down, especially if they brought to you some kind of brokenness in their lives. This is the greatest tool to just reach into their lives and touch them where they are in the name of Jesus Christ. See, God can and will do amazing things if we would only sincerely, earnestly, as the word that's used a couple times in Scripture, if we would only sincerely and earnestly pray in accord with His will. And we already know that according to His will, He wants people to be saved. And he wants us to be used in that way, right? Prayer is the easiest inroad to bringing Christ before people, bringing them before God. Pray in Jesus' name, and then a couple days later, follow up. Check in with them. When they say, yeah, you know, my, my cousin was dealing with cancer, and, and Doctor says it's gone all of a sudden. Isn't that great? And you can say, yeah, we prayed, didn't we? Oh, yeah, we did pray. We prayed in Jesus' name. And let me, you share, you reach into their life. We walk with integrity. We pray with conviction and power. And we also need to be those who speak convincingly with conviction. And we need to be those who know why the good news is good news. People will cast us aside if we don't seem like we understand that the world is a bad place. Many times Christianity comes out to the world as some kind of ignorant faith, and they will quickly set us aside if they hear even the slightest hint of ignorance in us. We need to understand and, and speak to them that the gospel is not good news because God has a wonderful plan for your life. And if you just accept Jesus Christ, everything's going to be sunshine and roses and puppies. It's going to be awesome. Your troubles will all melt away. 
That's ignorance. And they know it. And they'll gladly cast us aside. The gospel is good. Because God gives us hope in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sin. We need to not be afraid of those words like sin. Because that's people's reality, isn't it? The gospel is good news because we have the hope of everlasting life in Jesus Christ, in his resurrection, instead of the everlasting death that this whole world and everybody in it deserves. Let's face it, we're all sinners, right? Everybody. This is where God's word becomes cross-cultural and cross-generational. We're all in that same boat. We've all done bad things. We've all transgressed God's perfect moral law, haven't we? As Christians, we need to get a handle on a, a few of the Ten Commandments, even just a few of them, if we can get them in our head to where they just flow right out of us, if we can bring people before the fact that they have sinned against a perfect God. Have you ever told a lie? Have you ever stolen anything? Here's the kicker. Have you always honored your parents and obeyed them? None of us have, right? These simple truths bring conviction to people's hearts and minds, and it meets them in their spiritual reality. It brings them before God, understanding that they have fallen short of his perfection convincing them of their need for a Savior. And we can come in and share with them the salvation that comes in Jesus Christ and in Christ alone. And because of of time, I'm really super simplifying this sharing the gospel thing. If you want a bigger toolbox, if you want to get your hands on some more tools to be able to share the gospel and speak in such a way into people's lives... Check out Living Waters Ministry. I think it's livingwaters.org or .com, something like that. Or it's also called The Way of the Master. The guy who heads it up, his name is Ray Comfort, and his ministry is located in Bellflower, California. It was right around the block from the church that I used to serve at. He came and actually spoke at the church once. Great guy. It's a, he's a little Kiwi, a, a little New Zealander guy. And I can say little because he's actually littler than I am, and I'm one to speak. This little guy has the most enormous heart and mind for Jesus Christ. A brilliant evangelist. And he provides great tools. His ministry provides some excellent resources for evangelism, how to talk to the doubtful or the atheist or or even the broken, the one who's about ready to hear the gospel or, or the prideful who needs to be broken. If you want to expand your toolbox, why don't you check that ministry out, Living Waters, um, great comfort, the way of the master. Something else to prepare ourselves is a tool that we all have in our hands. We've got God's word. We need to study it. We need to get it into our minds. We need to memorize it. We need to meditate on it. Get it into our heads so that it comes out naturally when and where we need it. We can't use something that we don't know. It isn't going to come popping into our minds if we haven't committed it to our minds, if we aren't getting ourselves into God's word and reading it regularly, how are we going to be able to use it when we need it to speak into somebody else's life, right? Uh, Would you go to a surgeon for a knee replacement 
when he only did half of his residency, and maybe once he, he watched most of a video on YouTube on, on how to do a knee replacement, would you go to him? I get the feeling some of you might from the response I'm getting right now. Well, if you wouldn't go to a surgeon like that, why should then people come to us for knowledge and understanding of God and their need for Jesus Christ, their need for a Savior, if we don't know God's Word well enough ourselves? Or if we wield our tools in a way that does more damage than good? How often have you seen somebody trying to get out a, a screw with a hammer? It doesn't work so well. Because Paul and Barnabas had an excellent toolbox and they used it very well, many came to faith. God used them to speak the gospel into these people's lives, to bear witness to the truth, truth of Jesus Christ convincingly and with conviction. But God's truth is divisive, isn't it? Verse 2. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. God's word is divisive. It's not just divisive. It, it is supernaturally divisive. It's one thing to disagree with somebody about something, and it's, a, it's a something else entirely to then poison someone else's minds against somebody because you disagreed with them. After hearing the truth of Jesus Christ, the unbelieving Jews caused evil. That's what that word for poison means. Caused evil, hatred in the minds of others against Paul and Barnabas. Why go so far? Because there's a spiritual war at hand. With a spiritual blindness that is cast over the eyes of the world. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Therefore... Having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Some will refuse to acknowledge Jesus Christ, just casting aside all reason. The spiritual blindness causes them in them an unnatural hatred for the things of God, the things of Jesus Christ, this gospel good news that we share. 
When we speak and live for Christ in in a way that people see and hear, people will hate us in the same way that they hate Christ. And they will attack even when it makes no sense whatsoever. Let me give you an example of this. Let's remove prayer. Let's remove Jesus Christ. And let's remove the Ten Commandments from our schools. We don't want those things there. And then when everything goes wrong, and the kids come back and they're committing murder and doing awful things to one another, they've removed the very statements that teach our kids not to commit murder, not to covet, not to lie, but to obey and honor their parents. It makes no rational sense. It is not reasonable in any way, shape, or form. But this is not a war of reason. It's a spiritual war. There's a spiritual blindness on this world. Things that make sense to the Christian whose eyes have been opened to the truth of Jesus Christ by the grace of God don't make sense to the world. We as Christians can expect that. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God there is such a thing, is wiser than men. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. Knowing this, uh, understanding that they don't understand and can't see the truth, understanding that we ourselves only know and comprehend because God has opened our eyes to the truth by his grace. We are called to have that same mercy, to extend that same grace to them as Jesus has shown to us, speaking to them the truth in love, sharing the gospel in a fallen and lost world, fighting this war with stamina. Verse 3. Ah, no, we're going to go back to verse 2. It says, But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time speaking boldly for the Lord. Did you catch that? They, the unbelieving Jews stirred up in the Gentiles and, and cause this evil in their minds against Paul and Barnabas and those with them. So what did they do? 
They stayed. They remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the truth of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. Paul and Barnabas didn't run away in the face of a spiritual war. The spiritual war was to be expected. They they knew the battle to be fought and the eternal, infinite value of the message that they were bringing to these people who needed to hear the good news. So they stayed for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord. We need to fight. We've lost some of our fight here in America. We've lost our drive and our desire to stand boldly for Jesus Christ here where we are today because Satan's devices against us are are the comforts of this world. I I can't risk sharing sharing with co-workers because I might lose my job. I can't risk sharing with friends at school because they might think I'm just a little bit too different than everybody else. Let's face it. I, along with everybody else, we like to be comfortable. No, I'm not saying to go out and lose your job on purpose today. There are wise times and ways and places to share Jesus Christ with anybody and everybody in our lives. But we need to step up and keep our hearts and minds aware of those opportunities aware of those times and ways and places so that we can jump in and make it happen because it won't happen casually. If we casually kick back and just kind of wait for things to happen organically with the sharing of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we're going to wait a really long time and watch opportunity after opportunity just pass us right by. We need to, with with God's word and the Spirit's power, and with prayer, be those who are jumping in, looking for those opportunities, working to make those opportunities happen, not being afraid. Because God, in His Spirit, if we do these things, He will bear witness with us. And maybe it'll be something miraculous. Maybe when you come along somebody and and you pray for them, there will be that miraculous healing. Maybe it'll simply be your God-given boldness and confidence in the truth of the message that you carry with you. Do you remember how the Sanhedrin was struck by the boldness of Peter and John earlier in the book of chapter 4? They recognize these men were with Jesus and they're uneducated, but look at how they're talking. Maybe people will see that in you. And they'll say, there's something different about you. What is it? Because right now I'm broken and I need that. You'll have the chance to speak Christ to them. God didn't send his son to the cross so that we could be comfortable. But that we would take up our own cross for the long haul and follow right after him. That we would take up that armor that he describes to us in the book of Ephesians that he provides for us to fight with. He says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. 
For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me that words may be given to me in the opening of my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Christians should be prepared to take on the enemy and not back down. To remain in the fray in the battle for a long time. Having the confidence to do so because we know in this battle that God's own spirit lives within us. Empowering, securing, strengthening, teaching, convicting, helping, interceding on our behalf, praying for us when we don't know the words to pray. Our God is bigger than the world because he laid its foundations. He is eternal, infinite. Everything else is finite. He's bigger than any power or authority, throne or dominion that may be in this world. And in Jesus Christ, our own hope is eternal. But there may be a day when this battle goes from the spiritual to the physical. Verse 4. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lycaonia, and to the surrounding country. And there they continued to preach the gospel. When the spiritual battle becomes a physical one, at what point is it okay to flee. Paul has already run away twice in this book, in chapter 9, from Damascus and Jerusalem. At what point should we back down from the fight? I think the key to this is in in verse 7. When they had heard about this plot against them, they fled, and verse 7 it says, and there, where they fled to, they continued to preach the gospel. When they fled, they continued to preach the gospel. When when the spiritual battle becomes a physical one, one in which there will be real and permanent loss, not just felt or or emotional loss where our feelings are hurt or we're afraid to share or something like that, when it becomes real physical loss that we could endure, we need to decide, can I get out of this without dismissing or compromising orthodox doctrine? Can I get out of this without dismissing God's word for the truth that it speaks? 
Can I get out without shaming or renouncing the one who died in my place, the Savior, the one who washed my sins away? Can I get out and continue to be a witness to the ends of the earth? Or am I just getting out of this because I'm uncomfortable and I want to save myself in some way, shape, or form? I think to myself about a little girl at Columbine High School who refused to renounce her Savior to save her own skin when she was asked, Are you a Christian? Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Let the one who flees, flee for the sake of Christ. Paul and Barnabas do not flee for weakness, but with pride in Jesus Christ. Not pride in themselves, pride in their Savior. They know that the gospel has taken root as much as it is going to in that time and in that place. They know that if they want to continue to plant those gospel seeds in people's lives, they're going to have to be alive to do that. Sometimes we cannot win this battle on this earth because the world does not love God. Sometimes we need to leave well enough alone so that we can have the opportunity to share the gospel at another time and another place to reach one more life for the message of Christ. That's why God has left his church here on this earth. Acts 1.8, to bear witness, to reach one more life with the gospel. We may not be able to win the battle sometimes, but we know the outcome of the war. Are we ready to fight? Are we ready to get uncomfortable for the sake of the salvation of others. To make sure that we have tools in our toolbox and we know how to use them so that we can share Christ with conviction and convincingly. Staying in the war for the long haul, fleeing only to share again at another time and another place. Let's pray. Father God, we pray for the strength to do battle. And Father God, help us to know that you've called us to more. You've called us outside of our comfort zones, and Lord, how valuable those are to us. I pray, Lord, that you help us to to set those things aside for the greater purposes of Christ. I pray, Lord, for the strength of your Spirit. Would you help us to be those who are aware and ready to stay for a long time? Lord, help us to be those who, are, who can speak in such a way, sharing the truth of your Son, sharing that gospel news with conviction. Father God, we praise you for, for the church family you've given us to build each other up and to encourage each other. And I pray that we would take these truths out with us, past these walls, into our community, into our families, into those we know. And we pray this all in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.